Welcome to episode 123, our Valentine's Day edition of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast. As usual, I'm joined by Mary, a woman who thinks I'm more stupid than Cupid. I am merely an empty chocolate box named Darren. Happy Valentine's what? Day, Mary. How are you? I don't think you're stupid. Well, Notice so that you're doing, you? you're doing the intro for the second week in a row just because I just can't under pressure. Yeah, yeah, and in the time of, of of love and relationships and stuff like that, we don't need that train wreck on such a no. joyous, happy holiday. So, how are you? What's going on? Well, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. We are recording episode 123, and it's a story I'm looking forward to talking to you about. But before we get to that, what are you drinking? Oh, thanks for asking. Hey, this is a special day for asking. I'm drinking, it's called Voodoo Ranger, it's called Juice Force IPA, it has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with anything. Um, I'm drinking it out of my Golden Girls mug, because they're always talking about, thank you for being a friend, and in the era of Valentine's Day, it's all about love and friendship, so that's why I'm going with this mug. So that being said, since I am a gracious host, and you stole my thunder a second ago by asking me first, but it's okay. Well then you bitch you, if I don't what? ask you. Oh, here we go. So what do you drink? I'm drinking Kashmir Hero, which is uh, Revolution Brewing, which is a uh, brewery out of Chicago. Um, and I'm drinking out of my John Reynolds mug that I got at the Seminary Ridge Museum a few years ago. And that leads into our episode topic, which has to do with John Reynolds. Yeah, I mean, it does. You know, for us, you know, we're going to spend our Valentine's Day discussing, you know, discussing star-crossed love and war and tragedy. And But that's, then again, how, how we roll, I suppose of all the romantic and sad tales of lost love that occurred throughout the American Civil War, few compared to one between Union Major General John Fulton Reynolds and the mysterious Kate Hewitt. Now, this is a tale of, of clandestine love and secret engagement, one that really, for the most part, is secret even as of today, stuff still coming out. People are still talking about it and discovering new, new details about this, uh, this love story. Well, it was a licensed battlefield guide, Jeffrey G. Harding, a few years ago that discovered, um, along with some help, just, you know, kind of probably what the true story was about it. And there's actually a book that you can get called Gettysburg Lost Love, The Ill-Fated Romance of General John Reynolds and Kate Hewitt by uh, Jeffrey G. Harding. Again, he's a licensed battlefield guide, but he made a lot of this discovery um, as to what, you know, we now know to probably be the true story of um john reynolds and his secret fiance uh kate hewitt and i also think that's a reminder that you know when you're doing history that it can change you know for one for a really long time we thought the story of john and kate was one thing and we thought she was this one person it turned out she wasn't and that story has changed that's the cool thing about doing history is sometimes you on you uncover some evidence that changes something and changes the story Always have an open mind, Mary, yes. when it comes to history. It is not math. It is not science. It is ever-changing. But despite the fact that John Reynolds was one of the more revered generals in all the Union Army, and one that's very recognized today, a true A-lister, um, if there is such a thing in the Civil War, his relationship with this mysterious partner is one that really captures the imagination, and its tragic end is almost unfair. You know, Even at a time uh, in a war when death is a daily occurrence, 
you know, they were a couple that were clearly opposites in almost every single way as we go through it. But fate did bring them together. And when it did, it sadly also tore them apart. So everyone knows John Reynolds. You know, he was born on September 20th of 1820 in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is about 60 miles east of Gettysburg, mm-hmm. um, to his parents, John and Lydia Reynolds, right? Now, from an early age, you know, the highly educated Reynolds, which he was, um, he's eventually will turn to a military education. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he found himself studying at, at, a, at Lancaster uh, a County Academy, um, it's a school that really still exists today, actually. And, and then in 1837, he's going to be nominated to attend West Point um, by a close family friend of the Reynolds, one senator, James Buchanan, of all people. And you know, West Point, he was you know middle of the road, just like me in school, finished 26, right out of 50. <laughs> I was going to say, he's um, like almost halfway he's, he's right. He's right at par, right? But this is a class full of future Civil War officers, such as Don Carlos Buell, um, Richard and Robert Garnett, and Albion Howe. So it's a star-studded class. He's going to graduate from the U.S. Military Academy on July 1st of 1841, and despite very much to ride the horse he's married, he, you know, he, Reynolds is going to get a commission. He's going to get a commission as, as a brevet second lieutenant in the third United States artillery. Um, and he will be stationed at Fort McHenry in Baltimore before he eventually gets shipped off to Fort Moultrie down there in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, the thing about it, though, is, you know, he's going to get his combat experience like many other contemporaries in Mexico. He's going to be twice breveted with a captain and major. You know, first at Monterey, when he um, when his men were surrounded, he's going to escape on a horse. He's going to jump on it right out sideways like a superstar hero to get out of there to get a message um, while under fire. The second time it will be during artillery when he's going to be breveted uh, for saving their guns while in uh, Buena Vista. Um, they say the thing about Reynolds is like many of these people, he was a soldier's soldier. Yeah. You know, he was a very popular guy. He was brave. He was daring. And his men and officers loved him. He was the epitome of the army. He really, really was. Um, you know, after Mexico, he kind of bounced around a little bit. He was originally assigned to uh, Fort Prable or up here in Maine. And then he was eventually sent West Young Man to Oregon in California, where he's going to meet um, George Thomas, small people, who will be a member of the same artillery battery. Uh, he's going to meet Louis Armistead. And he'll develop a close friendship with Winfield Scott Hancock, mm-hmm. old Winnie Boy, right? His birthday is tomorrow. Yeah, happy birthday to old Winnie day. Boy, by the way. He's born on Valentine's Day, which is probably appropriate if you think about it. Because he likes chocolate. And he, he, absolutely. <laughs> um, he, he, probably the big reason is peanut butter cups is really big, right? <laughs> but, but he was born on this day in 1824, just outside of Philadelphia. And that's where he was. 1857, Reynolds is going to participate in a Utah expedition along again with fellow uh, Civil War Generals Hancock mm-hmm. and Albert Sidney Johnson. Um, basically, the Mormons up in, uh, up in Utah didn't really feel they needed to pay taxes to the United States. The U.S. Army went up there to remind them that they do, and at the end of the day, they pay taxes. <laughs> that's pretty it. much what it was. In, yeah, in you don't want to be uh, skirting on your taxes or your loans. <laughs> Not around this time of year. It's coming up, you know, tax day, right? But while this is all happening, Reynolds' career is moving in different places. Mm-hmm. There's another story developing in California, um, which is going to be basically um, a woman living her life, a woman from Owego, New York, named Catherine Mary Hewitt, and who went by the name Kate. 
Yes. And she was born. It's kind of disputed as to when she was born, but they've settled now on a probably birth date of April 1st, 1836 in Owego, New York, as you said. Um, she loses her mother at a very young age. Age, So she's an orphan, which is, you know, pretty sad. Like her story starts off pretty sad. Um, but she does manage to receive a, a relatively good education. So she's an educated woman. She, in 1856, she um, leaves for San Francisco to go be a governess or nanny to a well-to-do household. Um, it could have been relatives. Again, it's not no, like her, known. Her story is very, it's still very, there's not a lot. Well, it, it, it is, but, but be to, you know, to, to compare and contrast with Reynolds, I mean, while Reynolds was living some of a privileged life, yeah. Kay wasn't like you said. Of no. course, she was. She's a she's an orphan. She's got a brother, Benjamin, um, and so for the most part, like you said, she does educate herself pretty well um, for the most part. But but when she's in her early to mid twenties, you know, like you said, she's gonna she's gonna go to Northern California where the girls are warm. Yep. Um, <laughs> Katie Perry. You know, Katie Perry. I, I do. I don't know. Steve. No, it's Steve Miller Band, oh. Mary. Oh, God, one less chocolate for your Valentine's Day candy for that one. But she's going to go to San Francisco in Sacramento, and she's going to work, like you said, as a governess, and she's going to struggle. And, again, she's young. She's by herself in in these post-gold rush days in Northern California. And, you know, like the girl in the the Poison video, you know, she's going to basically have to find ways to to keep her, her life going. And what does she do? She gets involved in what has been called the world's oldest profession, what prostitution, basically. But she also gets involved in a scandalous affair. And it's so bad that um, a newspaper reporter made false accusations about her but um, and accused her of loving money better than her heart's affections. But Kate, she came back like that's she came back at this reporter and said, I do not assume the garb of hypocrisy as thousands do to to palliate that which is wrong. But I do assert that however unfortunate I may be in my position in society, the purpose of my life and the impulses of my heart may be no less generous and noble than those of my sex who have been better proje- protected from the cruel wrongs I have been subjected to. So, right. so she does make it sound like she had no other choice. And I think that was the case with, you know, unfortunately, women at this time as they got themselves into like, you know, struggling financially. She's single, obviously, and it just doesn't work like, you know, she's not making money and she needs to. No, I mean, just picture I me. Mean, she's young and you know, she's she's a prostitute. I mean, she is what it is. I mean, she's 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 doing that. But, you know, she does get involved in some sort of very famous or very, I don't want to say famous, but basically a rich dude in yeah. California. And she has an affair with this guy. She does go by the alias Kate Wentworth. Yeah. So she did. She did kind of hide her name a little bit. The newspaper did glom onto this for the story for her. And to your point, you know, she absolutely had to defend herself and she really wanted to rebut everything that was said and kind of rebuild her reputation. Her life from this point on is all about retribution and mm-hmm. fixing her life. And it's very clear that she does. Her life is spinning out of control and she felt the overwhelming need to redeem herself. This means starting new and moving back east to New York. So she's just going to say the hell with this. She's going to leave California. She's going to go east. Now, while this is all going on, John Reynolds is going to receive new orders. He's also going to be leaving the West Coast and return to West Point, New York, where he'll become the military academy's new commandant of cadets, Mm -hmm. a job that he's going to hold from September 1860 
until June of 1861. Now, Reynolds, he's 39 years old. He's a bachelor. He's living the dream. Yeah. He is. He's going to begin to basically travel east by boarding the SS Golden Age in San Francisco, right? Little did he know that he was boarding the love boat, Mary. That's what he was doing, right? Whether or not that Isaac was there greeting him, but we don't know that. We don't know. But he's going to go on the boat. The details are unknown, but on this boat traveling east too was guess who? Was Kate Hewitt. Now, it's easy to use your Valentine's Day imagination, just picturing their first meeting, looking across the ocean, their, sky, their eyes meeting, hearts are fluttering. Or maybe it's meant live in the bathroom, who knows? Yeah. But at some point, the reality was they're going to meet on this boat and letters from Kate to Reynolds' family later on. She talks about how they first met. But unfortunately, the details of the encounter just weren't mentioned. Yeah, so, they, so who knows? There are passenger lists, though, from this voyage. And it does list a Miss C. Hewitt and a Major Reynolds as passengers. So we do know that they were on the same boat together. Well, there was. Yeah, she wrote about yeah. it. There's yeah. no question. Yeah. Now, it's, it's clear by them, though, that this voyage, not only that they mess, but they quickly fell for each other hard. In, in the relationship between this up-and-coming Union general and this troubled governor's turned prostitute that was putting her life back together again, this is where the relationship started. You know, they're going to move out, they're going to move east, they're going to change ships, and that final leg of their journey to New York is going to be aboard, aboard the SS North Star, which is kind of fitting because yeah. that's, what, that's what Reynolds was. He was a rising North Star. Yeah. That's exactly what he was. They're going to get to New York on August 13th of 1861, and the Civil War has begun at this point. But they knew at this point that their time was borrowed. They knew mm -hmm. at some point he was going to get the phone call, so they knew that this relationship was going to be brief. Now, first, though, Reynolds had to go back to West Point, and the new commandant, again, knew his tenure at his old alma mater wasn't, wasn't going to probably be too long. I mean, they, they all knew what, what, what the scoop was. You know, while Johns did his duty at West Point, Kate is going to continue her personal reclamation project to cleanse herself, especially her soul, mm -hmm. right? So in the fall of 1861, Kate is going to enter Eden Hall Academy of the Sacred Heart near Philly, where but basically over the previous seven months to this point, she's going to convert to Catholicism. Yep. Now, all the while, you know, her love for John, even in the separation, is growing stronger with each passing day. Yeah, well, there was letters they wrote that the wax seal that Kate put on them had his West Point stamp. So by that point, they, yeah. they might have been yeah. engaged. It, she obviously had his West Point ring, which was like would have been like a promise. Well, that's uh, what she used for the stamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was so, was the yeah. ring. So, but but even that you you know eventually you know the day is going to come when John's going to get his orders to go off to war, and it was around this time probably before Kate left for Eden Hall Academy, uh, that left Eden Hall Academy rather, that they've secretly became engaged. And it was clear based on the letters that when the war was over, they were going to get married. That was yeah. the deal, right? Be, but that's how it sounds anyway. But again, it's, it's up in the air. Now, Kate will leave Eden Hall Academy in July of 1861. So the engagement likely took place right around this time. Yeah. He probably did. Who knows if he'd set a balloon gram or who knows what <laughs> he did, right? Who knows? Maybe he did. Maybe one of those, you know, those teddy bears, yeah. Vermont teddy bears. You've seen those, Mary? The Vermont teddy yeah. bear. But, but the thing about it, though, is one of the reasons for their secrecy was their religions. Mm -hmm. now, nowadays, you look back at this, you, it's like, well, what's the big deal? Reynolds was a Protestant, 
Mm-hmm. Some sources list him as a Presbyterian, yeah. but whatever he was, he was not a Catholic. Kate was a new Catholic. Back in the 1860s, Mary, I don't know if you know this, but a marriage between a Protestant and a Catholic, especially a prominent military officer, mm-hmm. was forbidden. Yeah. It was it was very con- contra- uh, you know, controversial. But regardless, <clears throat> they're going to get engaged, and, and they, they really, you know, they couldn't wait for the war to be over um, so they can marry each other. And live out their days. Yeah, and it's not—it's not tough to imagine this. It's sad, but you think about how it all turned itself out. But you see how it was. Like you mentioned before, John is entrusting Kate with his West Point ring. Yeah, uh, and so once they get engaged, and that's probably his version of engagement ring. If you yeah. think about it. Yeah. Well, probably, I would think so. Did. Like, who knows what his money situation was like? Like, he, he probably right? said, "Will you marry me?" Beat Navy. That's exactly what his <laughs> oh, line probably was, as he gave her the ring, right? But but for the most part, but you can see how that went. They both knew that war was a dangerous thing, and tomorrow is promised to nobody. So around this time, Kate is going to make this vow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she. So and this was found yeah. out because of a letter that John's sister Jenny, or she Jenny, explained yeah. it later on that Kate had John's consent to enter a religious life should she lose him. So if he's killed in the war, she would become a nun. Is is what she has consent to do and that's debated because it says you know she said was she going to go into religious order because she never really it was never really a nun it's never really thing, but, like oh, it's not but, really and that was something else too that there's a parallel with um mcpherson's fiance who actually uh-huh. um hers was similar where she never married after mcpherson died so there was not, so I think this was maybe a common thing in the civil war that, you know, they would, the women would say, well, I'm just not either, I'm not going to get married to anybody or I'm just going to enter a religious life, you know, and who yeah, knows I mean, what pro- that exactly meant becoming a nun or just, you know, not getting married and just being religious. You know? I mean, who, who knows, but you know, while the war is progressing, Reynolds star is going to continue to rise and he's going to receive a bunch of assignments quickly. Mm-hmm. So real quick, we'll talk, you know, everybody knows John Reynolds, but there's some cool details about Reynolds. August of 1861, Reynolds is ordered to the Union's coastal defenses on the outer banks of North Carolina, uh, Cape Hatteras. But before long, General George McClellan is going to change his orders. August 20th of 1861, he's going to be named Brigadier General. It was given the 1st Brigade of Pennsylvania uh, Pennsylvania Reserves, the 1st, 2nd, 5th, 8th, and 13th under George McCall's division in the 5th Corps under Fitz, uh, Fitz Porter. Now, Reynolds was a staunch Unionist. And, and we got to talk about this, Mary. Yep. He was not an abolitionist. Okay? He, was not. he wasn't. Okay, He's fighting to save the Union and considered abolitionists a problem. Mm-hmm. He did. When John Brown was hanged, Reynolds, his quote was, if a few more abolitionist strike were hanged, it would effectively stop the agitation for a time. That's the quote he had. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean anything more than the fact that he's fighting for his country. He wasn't fighting for social issues. Yeah. He was fighting for his for, for the country. But that's like a lot of them were as well. Like that. that's how oh, yeah. that's how General Sherman was as well. So they're not, you know, and I think it's a good thing to mention about them that this was kind of. Speaking the, of Sherman, look at that right there. Jeez. Like for our viewers on YouTube. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Drawn by Uncle General Blink. Blink. How are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Anyway, but, but the thing about it, though, is, is you know, his his Pennsylvania men would, would you know, they're going to see battle in the summer of 1862. It's the Seven Days Battle. Um, 
in the, at the Battle of Gaines Mill. In June 27th of 1862, Reynolds has that experience, that embarrassment that's going to take place. Oh, he falls asleep. Uh, well, that, you know, while his brigade is covering the rear guard of the Union Army as they're retreating, Reynolds is going to take a nap under a tree at Botswana Swamp. And while he slept, his men, they left him behind. God. And so he's going to awake and he's going to look up. And the first face he's going to see is General D.H. Hill staring down. Who at him. is a friend of his. Who's a friend. He's going, to, he's going to be famously quoted saying, John, these are the fortunes of war. But you are my prisoner. I can't imagine then, what Reynolds said to him. Well, he probably didn't like that too much. Reynolds <laughs> is going to get shipped off to Libby. He's going to be shipped off to Libby Prison uh, in Richmond, where he's going to be exchanged not long after, actually, on August of 15th. He'll be exchanged for Confederate General uh, Lloyd Thielman, mm -hmm. uh, who had been held in Fort Warren here in Boston, Mary, yep. uh, since his capture for Henry in February of 1862. So he's going to get exchanged pretty quickly. But despite this, Reynolds is being closely watched by the guy with the hat in Washington. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln, if you've heard him. Whose birthday right? was yesterday. Whose birthday was yesterday, as a matter of fact. Reynolds, or Lincoln rather, for whatever reason, was taking a shine to Reynolds. Mm -hmm. He just did. So by the fall of 1862, Reynolds is going to be promoted to Major General, and then he'll be given, uh, given command of the First Corps of, of Volunteers, right? Now, despite his corps remaining back in Fredericksburg during the Battle of Chancellorsville, Lincoln basically offered command of the Army of Potomac to Reynolds to replace Joseph Hooker. Um, and, and it just and it just didn't happen. Reynolds, just, Reynolds, he, I think his reasons for it, I mean, it's still di disputed what his reasons for, but um, one of the theories is that he basically said to Lincoln, can you give me full control of the Army of the Potomac? In other words, stop. You know, he kind of saw Lincoln as meddling. He'd seen what had happened to, I think he'd seen what had happened to McClellan, what had happened to Burnside. And now, you know... Hooker is clearly not going to be in command for much long, but he says, can you give me full control? And Lincoln's like, nah, I'm not willing to. And Reynolds is like, okay, then I don't want anything to do with this. That's one of the stories behind. It's not 100% known, but that is one of the, the stories behind well, why I mean, he refused the command. I mean, it's, it, I mean, think about it. He's seen firsthand Burnside yeah. and, and Hooker being being poked around by Halleck and Stanton and Lincoln like a little puppet. And and he sees their reputation being Sully. Mm -hmm. Burnside, his name is watch it now, Mud. See what I did there? Right. Mm -hmm. And then Hooker is getting he's getting ripped apart politically. And he's like, things going pretty good for me. I don't know if I really want this bad job. I think I'm cool. But the interesting thing about it though was even after noping Lincoln, he's still gonna he's still gonna get his career rising. Mm -hmm. As we head into the Gettysburg campaign, he'll be given the left wing of the Army of the Potomac, the 1st, the 3rd, and the 11th Corps. And, and for the most part, his fate is going to take him to Gettysburg. We're going to yeah. talk about this real quick. Gettysburg, of 18, uh, July 1st, 1863. He's going there to relieve John Buford, whose cavalry has been delaying the Confederates who are driving into town from the West. Now, again, Reynolds was a very popular officer amongst his men because, like I said, he was a soldier's soldier. He rode up front with his men. Um, he, he gave away DQ gift cards, the whole deal. <laughs> he's the very he's the very epitome of a popular and strong leader, right? We talk a lot about Hancock with this, right? Kind of similar, except, yep. Hooker, except except Reynolds has been around longer. Yeah. In, in 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 that that level. And I think Reynolds From, is a little bit more where Hancock was more, I want to say, extroverted and maybe 
kind of in your face. I don't know if Reynolds was that way, but they still possessed obviously the same types of leadership skills. But I think Hancock might have been a little bit more extroverted. Reynolds to me comes across as maybe a little quieter. Well, Reynolds to his men was the army. Yeah. He was the he was the face of the army. He was a, when you thought when you thought about your your core, your division, your Reynolds was was the face. He was very popular. So when Reynolds arrives at Jan Herp's woodlot on July 1st of 1863 with the members of the famous Iron Brigade, you know, they're driving back James Archer's brigade mm-hmm. of Tennesseans and Alabamians who are assaulting McPherson's Ridge. Everyone know everyone knows the story. Reportedly, Reynolds is riding up front with the second Wisconsin, a regiment that sustained an amazing 77% casualties, by the way. Crazy. Talk, we talked about the talk about the six six. Yeah. We talked about the second. We're talk about the second Wisconsin, yeah. right? He's going to yell, forward, men, forward, for God's sakes, drive those men out of those woods. And he's going to get dropped. He's going to get shot in the back of the head and the upper neck. And he's going to be killed instantly. Now, introducing Charles Vale, who is a big part of this story. Charles Vale is a staffer for Reynolds. He's stunned to see the general fall, a man that he respected and he loved. And again, like many of his men, Reynolds was, was the whole thing. Vale's going to write of this. He's going to write... General Reynolds fell upon his face, his arms outstretched towards the enemy. I at once sprang forward from my horse and went to his side. The thing about it, though, is at first they just thought he was stunned. Yeah. They didn't see any marks. They just thought he was just there was all no like blood a light. that was visible. There was nothing. But then he wrote, um, you know, he 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 talked about feeling, you know, feeling the the, the hole in the back of his head. He, he finds that. And another one of Reynolds' staff officers, a guy named Major Joseph Rosengarter, wrote that even the Confederates were stunned to see Reynolds fall. Mm-hmm. He's going he's gonna to write, as the dead body of General Reynolds was carried off the field, the captured Confederates manifested their respect for the fallen Union general. Right? That's, this is who John Reynolds was. This was, this was big time. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't just because he'll be the highest ranking officer to be killed at the Battle of Gettysburg. It's because who he was. He yeah. was John Reynolds. He'd already a made universe- a name for himself before the Civil War with all, right. like, you know, all the different bait. He'd been at like Fort Moultrie. He'd been at all these other different bases, basically East Coast, West Coast, South, North, all over the place. Yeah. He, he was well known. I mean, a universally loved and respected military man. And this, the loss sent shockwaves throughout the army and the country. This is like Michael Jackson dying. Mm. Like, holy crap. That, that's how they, but that, yeah. not to make light, but that's what, that's what it was. Mm. And I think it's, I think it's important to talk a little bit real quick about Reynolds' dead body and its return home um, to Lancaster because it tells a remarkable story of devotion by his men mm-hmm. that's going to sadly lead him back to Kate Hewitt, yeah. right? So after, after Reynolds falls, He's going to land on the side of his. He's going to land the side of his face, and Vale is going to notice a slight bruise on it, and it becomes utmost importance for Reynolds' staff to get him home, back, back, because yeah. you want you're going to stay with him, right? The first place they're going to take him is to a small house on modern day Steinway Avenue, the George George House. Yeah. Everybody knows the George George House, right across that, from the DQ. A, it's an old tiny studio that's uh, called Servants. Uh, near the DQ to the Dobbin House, not far from Pickett's Buffet, not far from the great Gettysburg T-shirt company, yeah. all that area right down there. That's where his body's going to be taken. 
Um, now there, two of Reynolds' most loyal staffers, Charles Vale, we talked about, and Joseph Rosengarten, we talked mm-hmm. about, they're going to devise a plan to get him banked back um, to Lancaster, right? The first thing they need to do is they need to find him a coffin. Yeah. So they're going to go into town to try to find this. Now, keep in mind, there's a battle going yep. on. And so it's, it's the like first go- day, so a lot of it is happening. It's right. starting to happen in the town as well. So they couldn't get to near. They couldn't get to the Walmart on York. So they had. They had. They, they had to figure something out. <laughs> Walmart probably wouldn't so, have had a coffin. I've been there before. No, probably not. I probably would have actually. Uh, but so they're going to go back into town, but they can't find one. The best they can do is find a packing crate. Now John Reynolds was six feet tall, and the packing crate they found was five foot six. Oof. So they put him in the box and his feet from his calves are sticking out of the bottom. Oh my that, God. That's, that's, that's what this is. Right. But again, this, this, this is the best yeah. they can do. Um, meanwhile, word is going to be sent to George Meade um, of what happened, who reportedly was absolutely devastated yeah. at this news, as was all the way top to the bottom. Another guy who was devastated was Hancock yeah. who around this time, cause he was his friend around this time is going to jump on that ambulance or head back into town. So you can only imagine what's going on in old Winnie Boy's head. Yeah, is close, you know. So that that's kind of how it is. So when the army has has to deal with with the with the death of Reynolds on a military level, Vale and Rosengarner are dealing with it on a personal yeah. level, and they don't, all they want is to get him back back to Lancaster. That's, that's that's all they want. The battle it doesn't matter anymore. They're going to bring in a third member of Reynolds' staff, a guy named Sergeant R. B. Clevenger. And they're going to decide the three of them are going to personally stay with the body until arrive back home for burial. Mm-hmm. So they're going to take control of it. There's a problem, though. First of all, Lancaster is about 60 miles east of yeah. Gainsbourg. It's an easy shot, okay? But there's something going on in town, which is the battle. Also, Jeb Stewart's floating around somewhere. They don't know where he is. So they can't just take that easy 50-mile trip east. they got to make an odyssey to get him back. What they're going to have to do is they're going to have to go south. Now, they're going to basically have to go south down the Tawny Town Road to a town called Union Bridge, Maryland, mm-hmm. and, and take the train to Baltimore, and then take a boat up the Delaware River, Delaware River to Philadelphia, and then take him to Lancaster. That's the route they're going to have and to do. And keep in mind, it's warm out. It's warm out. Vale is going to ride on top of Reynolds' horse. Fancy. Yeah. Right? And Ro- uh, Rosengarner and Clevenger are going to ride with the body. Uh, in, the, in the wagon, just picture them rolling up town, down Tawny Town with the box with yep. feet sticking out the oh, end. Geez. Now, th- this is what it was. As they're moving down Tawny Town Road south, what's going on? The second, third corps are coming up the road. Mm. So they're seeing this as they're going by, and they're hearing rumors of Reynolds being dead. And now they see Reynolds in this box. So as they're passing by, there's this stunned silence of re- re- you know revere. Mm-hmm. You know, watching him go by, like you know, just just you can you can just imagine their morale's already low at this point. Yeah. Now they see one of their favorite generals, even if it's not even in their core, go by in a box with his feet sticking out the end, right? Just yeah. just 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 think of the think of this this situation. They're going to make it to Union Bridge uh, early on July second, and they're going to take Reynolds' body to a to a guy named John Berger, who was a railroad carpenter, and. From there, they're gonna they're gonna have a coffin made, so you know that's gonna fit. Mm-hmm. Next, they're gonna go to a guy. They're gonna go to John Forney's undertaking shop. Now, again, this is twenty four hours after his yep. death. He hasn't been a bomb jet, 
and it's hot. And, you know, that bruise I mentioned on the side of his face is now jet black covering most of his face. Oh, God. That's that's the situation they're dealing with. Forney didn't embalm him, though. He packed his body in ice in that coffin and put the body on a train that was going to be headed southwest uh, to, to, to the Union Supply Hub in Westminster, Maryland. Right, which is a very end of Emmitsburg yep. Road. At this point, the Battle of Gettysburg is in its second day. Westminster is a supply hub. So you can imagine the hustle and bustle, trains coming in, yep. going out with supplies. What's going to happen next is going to show how much respect the Army has for Reynolds, right? On orders of Railroad Chief Herman Hopps, he is going to t- basically order all the Army trains to move aside at this moment. Wow. So Reynolds' body can pass through quickly on the way to Baltimore. So while the battle's going on, they need supplies. They need all this and that. He stops the show so his train can go through. Wow. Again, that, that's who Reynolds was. And they want it because they want – it's important that he gets back home to his family. That That's yeah. that's the whole thing when they see him. Now, not long later, that train carrying the body, along with those three bodyguards, is going to arrive in Baltimore – and they're going to quickly take the body to an embalming studio of a guy named James Weaver, who's going to quickly embalm John Reynolds and prepare him for viewing. I mean, I mean you can imagine it's probably not a very it's pretty sight at this point. It's not looking right? too good at this point. But again, Weaver is one of the best in the business. Mm-hmm. And by, by all reports, he, he did a good job making, making Reynolds whatever yep. presentable, right? Fun fact about Weaver, by the way, within a week, He's also going to be embalming General Samuel Zook, oh my God. as well as Edward Cross, who will both be killed on that bad day on July 2nd at the wheat fields. So he's got a lot of work coming up, unfortunately, yeah. for, for Weaver, right? Oh. So now embalmed and in his casket, Reynolds is going to go down to Baltimore's Inner Harbor to the Light Street Wharf, which is not far from Camden Yards mm-hmm. for a baseball fan, yeah. Mary, the Orioles, right? And they're going to board a boat for Philly. Now, this is late on July 2nd. This vessel sails with the Delaware River and is going to arrive in Philadelphia the next day on July 3rd. And there to greet the boat are Reynolds' sisters, Lydia, Catherine, Harriet, and Ellie, Eleanor, right? Yeah. They've obviously been messaged of the death of their brother and told where to go, blah, 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 right? Catherine, she has a house in Philadelphia on Spruce Street in Philly, right? And so she's going to, once they take possession of the body, they're going to take him to her house where it basically is going to lie in state for the rest of the day. And until the next day on July 4th, when it's going to be taken back to Lancaster. Reynolds' three stabbers, Clevenger, Vale, and Rosa Garner, they're still there, and they're refusing to leave the body until he's buried. They're going to stay with with their man. Now, while John Reynolds' body is lying in state at his sister Catherine's house, they hear a knock on the door. Knock, knock, knock. And when they answer it, they're going to get a surprise of a lifetime. Yep. It's none other than Reynolds' secret fiance, Kate Hewitt, at the door. The 27-year-old Kate, who's going to introduce herself as John Reynolds' fiance. Now, again, for the sisters, this was a stunner, absolute stunner, because they probably hadn't been asked to be bridesmaids yet. They probably mad at that moment, right? But you can only imagine, because they had no idea their brother was involved with anybody. So so suddenly... um, you know, suddenly that that's you're finding all this out. So naturally, she wants to see John's body, and so immediately they, they take her to him. Now, 
The thing about it, you know, it's, it's rumors how Kate found out about the death. Yeah. There's one school of thought that says she read it in the newspapers on the seconds. It's very possible. There's another, there's another stream of thought that she was told of the death by Hancock. Interesting. Because, because Hancock would have been the only guy realistically that Reynolds would have told. Mm-hmm. And he probably would have kept it quiet. And there's some debate about that. But some people think that Hancock found out, had sent a message to her, that he knew what was going on. I could see that and, happening. Uh, right. And others think that she just read in the newspaper. But again, it's, this. what's great about this story is so much is still coming out about yeah. it. Right. This is like this, this just happened. So um, Kate is going to begin to tell these sisters about how they met back in California, how she converted to Catholicism in 1861. But despite the religious differences, again, these people are Protestants. Mm -hmm. Kate's a Catholic. They greeted her like family. Like they were warm to her. And she immediately became greeted by the, the Reynolds family. She became basically one of them. Ellie Reynolds, you know, she's going to write to brother William, a captain in the United States Navy saying she seems like a very superior person with all the regret that he john had not told some of us about her that she that we had not known her yet we are happy she came and had all the comfort that we could offer her um sometimes these quotes refer to her as jenny yeah for some reason which is weird because i don't think she had, he had a sister named jenny no but 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 who knows but yeah. it was a nickname but she also told them about the promise she made to John that if mm-hmm. he died, that she was going to devote her life to religion. Yeah. And she also, when she right. got there, she was very, like, very together, coming across as very strong. And when she saw his body, that's when she broke down. Um, exactly. When she, when she, I, that, I think that's when reality hit her. She was probably going on adrenaline from the moment she found out. And she's like, I just have to get to him to see him one final time. You know, um, and then when she saw his body, she broke down. But yeah, she does very quickly establish a close relationship with his, um, especially his sisters. I think he was especially close with like Ellie um, was the one that he was, she was really close with. Oh, so it's all question. She's going to continue. She's going to continue, but, but, but we're going to talk about this in a second. But after she tells Matt Vaughn what she's going to do, you know, history says that she went off to the convent, yeah. she died. But we're going to talk about that in a little bit, how that kind of changed in, in recent history. But Ellie's in that same letter, she's going to write to William. She's going to say, Kate has his consent to enter a religious convent should she lose him. And now she intends to do so as the world has no interest for her anymore. Okay. Now, Kate said, Kate, he says, Kate has given him first to God, then to his country, and then to herself. To him, I stand third. Mm-hmm. That's how she, that's how she saw it. Now, again, Ellie is going to say in this meeting of this with this devastated Kate Hewitt that we feel so for her, tis like crushing the life out of her. Yeah. So you can you can just imagine. I mean, you're you're, you're planning on getting married. You're young. Your life is about putting his pieces back together again. You yep. finally find the guy who's going to put your life together again, and he he just dies, right? And with John gone, and Kate basically accepting the rest of her life would be a service to her faith. She's going to return John's West Point ring to the Reynolds family. Yep. She's going to write how about the, the very moment, uh, this moment when she does this to her brother again, she's going to say she kissed it and put it on the glass plate, which is the glass plate of, of covering his face on the coffin. Yep. She put it right on top of that glass plate. It was a great struggle. Kate's only request to the family in regards to John's ring 
was never let it be tainted by a disloyal hand. He is true, true for that. Oh, that's and so what, it's sad. And is there a story behind what happened to the effects that he had? The gold ring that oh, was inscribed with dear Kate and Oh, well, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk about that. If somebody has some patience, we'll talk about that, right? <laughs> but the next day is July 4th, and John's body is going to make its final journey uh, to Lancaster, where he'll be laid to rest in Lancaster Cemetery. Now, those three faithful staffers we talked about, Vale, Rosa Gardner, and Clevenger, their jobs are completed, and they're going to return to the Army of the Potomac. And they're hearing about the battle victory at Gettysburg. Maybe they were hearing something about Vicksburg. We don't mm -hmm. know. But you can only imagine how bittersweet it was for them in, yeah. in this, this very moment. So not long after his burial, Major William Riddle, no relation to Tom Riddle as far as we know, Mary. <laughs> we don't know that. Okay. Another of, another of Reynolds' staff officers, he's going to write a list of items that he found on Reynolds' body to a fellow officer. And this is what Riddle wrote, yeah. to your point. On the general's little finger, was that gold ring I spoke of bearing the, the words, Dear Kate, on the inside, which he valued very highly. He wore about his neck a short silken string, those two emblems of the Catholic faith, a heart and cross. So that's what happened to him, yeah. who knows? But but that's but they talk about it. And this, this report that, that Riddle wrote would, would be later. This is 1864, yeah. right? this, this is down the road a little bit, so that's later. But we're going to talk about Kate the rest of her life with this. I mean, fortunately, John is buried. He's gone. Kate is going to keep that promise to John and soon will enter the religious life by joining the Daughters of Charity in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Mm -hmm. She will join using the name Sister Hildegardis. That was I name. thought that was an interesting choice. I was like, what? I thought that was an interesting choice. I was speaking. It sounds like a Hogwarts name. I know. Enough, I was like, you know, oh, what is this? But she, she was going to be soul sister Hildegardus, but we don't, we don't know why. But at some point, while while she's a uh, while she was a seminar seminarian at the Daughter of Charity, mm -hmm. who's going to come visit her is Charles Vale again. That one of those three guys who was so close with his body, as well as um as well as as um one of two of John's sisters, mm -hmm. they're going to come pay a visit to Kate. Now during this visit. Kate gave Vale an embroidered handkerchief that she was making for John at the time of his death, which featured a U.S. coat of arms. Now, this is one thing that not a lot of people know about Kate. She was a very talented artist. Very, and embroider. very talented. Okay. Now, whether she could draw pictures of Sherman like this, we don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. But she was very good <laughs> at embroidery. That's what she was. Um, and we'll talk about that. But Kate's life after entering the Daughter of Charity, it has some gaps. Okay, but yeah. by all accounts, she's only going to be there a few years. And mm -hmm. In September of 1868 or so, um, in recent study begs this question. We talk about the recent study with this yeah. was whether she left on her own or whether she was booted out. It's debated, right? Yeah. Well, that that's the thing. But but regardless, at the end of the day, Kate is going to reappear in New York, um, and, and after research by historians, recent historians, they're going to try to locate her whereabouts after leaving the Daughters of Charity. And there was also a question of which Kate Hewitt we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And that's the interesting thing about it. You mentioned the census reports. Yep. U.S. census records show that there were two women named Catherine Mary Hewitt who lived in New, in New York yep. late in the 19th century 
one in Albany, New York, Albany. Mary, and another in the town of Stillwater. Now, through a lot of legwork by some contemporaries, like, like we talked about earlier, uh, and mainly, mainly through census data, the Albany case was the one who was was the one who was likely was was the dean to John Reynolds' former fiance. Just right? to just to note, we do know it's called Albany, New York. Yes, it's just a it's, joke. It's, it's a long <laughs> that call, story that we call it Albany. <laughs> no, but but records did show that she did leave the order. It was sent on a mission to teach at a school called St. Joseph's mm-hmm. School in Albany, New York. It probably got to Albany around January of eighteen sixty six while she was still part of that order. But she was out of the order of 1868. She was was gone. Kate's going to go teach at a school called the Select School in 1868 at that point. Sometime in 1871, Kate is going to, again, she's an embroider. She's really good. She's going to make an ornate banner for the St. Jean Baptiste Society of Albany that was seven feet high and five feet wide, as well as a similar one that was used as part of a display of the Centennial mm-hmm. Exhibition in, in Philadelphia from 1875 to 1876, right? When the exposition ended, that banner was sold at auction for two grand, wow. which is about six, which is about sixty thousand in today's That's money. That's crazy. Wow. But it's sad though; she never saw the money because yeah. it was sold after she, she after she yeah. died. But that, but that's how it was. But those census records, they they seem to prove that Kate did not honor her promise to John. Mm-hmm. And this is where, where myth and reality kind of go in two different directions yeah. because she vowed never to marry him because records show that on June 24th of 1874, Kate is going to marry a Joseph P. Ford, a florist um, in, uh, in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Maybe she liked flowers. Yep. He's a florist. Right. <laughs> He was a florist, and they're going to be married at St. Joseph's Church, and, and, and Joseph and Catherine Fort were living as husband and wife in Albany as of June 1st, 1875. Mm-hmm. So all the all stars line up that this is Kate Hewitt. So yeah. she, she did dedicate her life to religion, but something happened, and it just didn't take. And yeah. Whether she left on her own or whether she was booted, she's going to leave. She's going to meet Joe Ford with a P, by the way. Yeah, and she's going to end up marrying him. Now, for most of Kate's adult life, she had a cough. Yeah, her, she had basically kind of like walking tuberculosis. Yeah, Reynolds' sister discusses that even when she knew her that she had like kind of a nagging cough, and it yeah, as you said, it's suspected to be tuberculosis, which at that time was deadly. It was, and, and once you got it, you, you didn't. It wasn't usually a happy ending, but it did get significantly worse heading into 1876. According to census records, Kate Hewitt Ford died on October 6, 1876, mm-hmm. and her obituary describes her as a lady of high abilities, an earnest and consistent Christian, as well known and highly respected. It also listed the cause of death as consumption, mm-hmm. which is tuberculosis. Yeah. So again, it makes sense. Now, soon after her death, that banner I mentioned in Philadelphia, um, it won a special award. It was given to her. The award was given to her posthumously after yeah. she died. So she didn't enjoy the satisfaction of it, nor did she enjoy the satisfaction of that $60,000 in today's month because no. she was gone at that point. And she was also 39 years old when she died. Which is the same age that John Reynolds was when she it was. When, when when they met. 
Life can be circular, Mary, no question about that. Kay lists her obituary list, her burial at St. Agnes Catholic Cemetery in, in Menans, Albany County, which by happenstance is also the same cemetery where many of those sisters who taught at St. Joseph's yep. are also buried. Fact, that doesn't mean anything, but yep. it's just kind of whatever. It's an interesting point. Like, you know, that this probably is John Reynolds' Kate Hewitt. It was. But for years, though, many thought the other Kate Hewitt, the one from Stillwater, New York, was John's fiance. And re- if you go on to places like Find a Grave, they'll, you'll still see the wrong gravestone, yeah. right? And a recent study has gone a long way now into finding out what happened to the real Kate after John's death and after she left the religious order. That's why it's always important to keep studying, like you said earlier, because stuff comes out. Yeah. Now, it's, e- it's easy to read around Valentine's Day, the story of John Reynolds and Kate Hewitt, and feel sad about the fate that separated them. But it's also easy to see how much impact they had on each other, Mm -hmm. if you really think about it. For John, a rigid military man, Kate offered him a future. And after the war, he clearly looked forward to. And for Kate, if you think about it, he offered her what? He offered her redemption from yeah. a life that she felt was one that she, that she lived very unvirtuously. And her honoring that vow to join that religious order, if he died, was one that she followed through on. So though she did eventually find love again and yeah. move on and marry, it's hard to imagine that she didn't spend her entire life after July 1st of 1863 wondering what if. Yep. Yeah. Right. And that what if is the saddest part of the story. Exactly. No doubt about it. And it's like thousands of other of these stories in the Civil War. And Reynolds is remembered today um, where she's buried because um, there was some funds raised a few years ago to put a marker on her grave. And it says in memoriam, Catherine Hewitt Fort, April 1st, 1836 to October 6th, 1876. Devout Christian, loving wife of Joseph B. Fort. One-time fiancé of Major General John F. Reynolds, who was killed in action at the Battle of Gettysburg. So he is still part of her history. So in a way, they're still like, they're still kind of tied together in that way. But as we said, this is one of many stories. You know, you have McPherson who was killed, like James B. James B. McPherson, who was killed at the Battle of Atlanta. Um, he had asked for leave from Sherman to go marry his fiancé. And Sherman had said no, um, and he ends up getting killed, and his fiance will spend a year in mourning locked in her room, and I don't think she ever marries again. You have, um, on the Confederate side, you have General Patrick Claiborne, um, who had met Sue Tarleton at the wedding of uh, General Hardy, and Sue and Patrick uh, became engaged soon after that. Um, he's unable to marry her because he gets killed at the Battle of Franklin, and Ooh. she like Kate gets married but dies soon after. Um she doesn't well, Sue Tarleton also does not live very long. So are there there are stories like this that are sad on both sides of the Civil War. But it's a reminder it's a reminder that the more the the human side, the other side of it that's going on that it's not just these battles that these guys are still having these lives outside of it and they have women that they love and all that too. At the end of the day, these are all people. They're all humans. They've all got dreams. They've all got loves. They've all got aspirations. They've got everything like anybody does nowadays. So when you look at these folks and you study them and you see those old crusty black and white pictures, and you see the tin types, 
there's always a story. Always look at the eyes, Mary. Yeah. Always look at the eyes. Cool. The eyes tell the story. Well, it's like you said in that um, in our episode about Hiram Granberry, that right. famous picture of him. Um, when that was taken, he had found out about his wife and that she was terminally ill. And you can yeah. see the sadness in his eyes, right? So mm-hmm. it's these these human stories, you know, that are just as much of the Civil War history as the battles are. Absolutely. And for John Reynolds, a guy who was loved by his men, loved by his officers, loved by his, his you know, foot soldiers, this his death was a shocker. But finding out that he, you know, had a secret life of... I don't think he was trying to hide it. I mean, the Catholic Protestant thing probably had something to do with it realistically. But again, this is a guy who just goes to show he was doing his job. And when the war ended and his job was over, he was going to live his life, um, you know, for forever and ever with with his love, Kate. And that's how he saw it. And that's what motivated him to get through life every single day. And unfortunately, it ended quickly for him. And her story of having having to live that vow and having to go and carry that. I mean, she only lived for 11 years or so after he died. Yep. He didn't, or whatever it was. He didn't, he didn't, I get the date, but he, he didn't, she didn't live that long. And, and even though she, she did move on, um, you can, you can tell that she always, she always wondered that someday she'll see John again. Yep. And that's how she always saw it. So it's an important lesson as we go yep. to Valentine's Day that tomorrow's promise to nobody. You always tell the people you love, you love them, Mary, because you never know how, to, how tomorrow's going to exactly. be. And for, and, for, and for Kate and John, um, you know, no matter what happens, they always wish they had just one more day together. So that's that for that. So what's coming up for us next, Mary? So tonight we, have, well, it'll have passed by the time some people hear this episode, but we are doing our Civil War Breakfast Club roundtable trivia. So uh, thank you to everybody who joined us for that. Um, and great. And congratulations to Leonard for winning the yeah, trivia. Yeah, because Leonard will I'm probably sure win again. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, we're... We'll have another episode for you all soon. We'll be announcing the book club soon. I know we keep saying that, but we will do that soon. Um, but as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching if you're watching this on our YouTube. Um, and thank you, Darren, for bringing it like you always do. Always try to and do happy it. Valentine's happy Valentine's Day, Day to you, Mary. And happy Valentine's to everybody out there. Happy Galentine's Day for all the single ladies who, uh, who celebrate that. That's a real thing, okay. you know. That's a real thing. I know. It is. Just saying. I know. Anyway. anyway, so enjoy the rest of your day. We look forward to our trivia will be over by the time we drop this uh, on on the um, uh, on the podcast. But we hope I'm sure I assume it went swimmingly as always, Mary. But again, we appreciate every listening. We always do. And this day of Valentine's Day, we love our listeners. We appreciate everybody who does this. So make sure you uh, you enjoy the day and go out there and enjoy your day. If it's snowing yep. here, it's a crappy day in the winter wonderland that is Massachusetts. But we will definitely try to have some fun on Valentine's Day ourselves. So off we go, Mary. The pleasure again was all yours. And we will talk to you and everybody else on the other side. See y'all later. Bye. Thank you for being a friend. (laughs)